Some friends of ours were recently talking about the Sherlock Holmes genre of detective stories. I don't know how many of you are fans. I certainly was a fan when I was younger. They were pointing out some of the more modern adaptations of Sherlock Holmes. It's a whole, I think, two-season series with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. I've seen a few of those. Really interesting updates to the whole idea. But something that that series did not particularly cover, one of the first stories that I'd read was The Adventures of Silver Blaze. If you know your Sherlock Holmes, Silver Blaze is a prize racehorse who goes missing the night before the big derby, as the British would call it. And so mayhem has struck in some way, shape, or form. The horse is missing. The horse's trainer has been done in on the stable floor out in the paddock somewhere. And it's a mystery as to what has happened. And so Inspector Gregory from Scotland Yard shows up to try to sort out what's going on. And somehow Sherlock Holmes knows the owner of the estate and Sherlock Holmes shows up. And eventually Gregory links up with Holmes and he says, is there any other point with which you wish to draw my attention? And Holmes replies, to the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. And the inspector replies, the dog did nothing in the nighttime. To which Holmes says, that's the curious incident. Later on, the, the non-barking dog plays a pretty significant role in breaking the case. But for our purposes, when we're talking about the Trinity on this Trinity Sunday, the curious incident is that the word Trinity is never mentioned in Scripture. So how is it that we understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without going into some sort of polytheistic peace. And even more importantly, what does that actually mean for us? I don't want this to be primarily a theological lesson. This, this has real implications for the church. It has real implications for us as Holy Trinity. But I just want to use our time to explore that a little bit, to, to look at first, what does it mean? How, how do we, why is it that we even say that God is three in one? But while we don't see the word Trinity in the Scripture, we have the unfolding of the Godhead, of three in one. And the, the gospel text that Cindy just read points that out. Let me just call your attention to some of the verses. It's this marvelous, I don't know what you want to call it, um, interaction. It's not a duet, a triad. It, it's this interaction, this, this dance, this, this uh, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus is telling his disciples. And this is even before the Lord has been uh, on the road to Calvary. He is, he is about to go there. This is the upper room discourse, of course. And so he says, don't grieve that I say I have to leave because it is for your good that I'm going away. The advocate will come to you. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And then the Lord goes on to explain that. But the Lord says, I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And then he says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Already you see this movement. You see, you see 
Jesus talking about God the Father. When we think of God as Father, that's not a term that you really find in the Old Testament. It's something you find God, of course, in the various ways that that's translated in the Hebrew. But you really are finding Jesus speaking about God as his Father. And so he says, I'm going to the Father. I'm returning to him through the way of the cross. And then I will ascend to heaven after I've been raised from the dead. There's, there's that whole movement that's a part of that. So Jesus is going to the Father, but Jesus is sending the Spirit to his disciples. And the Spirit will lead them into all the truth. But the Spirit will not speak on his own. He is fully dependent on what the Lord says to him. Nor will the Spirit be there just to glorify himself. But he is always bringing glory to the Father. He's bringing glory to God. There's this wonderful, constant interaction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the church, uh, that, that's when, so when we speak of three in one, it's texts like these that speak to that. And Paul, in some of his formulations of understanding who God is, has Father, Son, uh, and Spirit in that. So that's how the, the church gets there. But it's, it's not until... Um, I think it's Tertullian in 180 AD actually coins the, the term Trinity. It, it takes a while for the church to really start putting a label to it. But it, the church is operating in, the, in understanding, living out their life in Christ through the power of the Spirit, living out their calling to mission about taking the gospel that Jesus brought through his death and resurrection and taking that to people, many of whom don't want to hear it, but saying this is what real life is about. When, when Jesus was saying earlier, the advocate will come and he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. In other words, the world is in the wrong when it says sin is kind of what we decide sin to be. But Jesus through the, and the Spirit will remind the church so that we can tell the world, no, sin is when you don't receive the gift of forgiveness from the Lord Jesus to overcome what separates us from our Father. So the world doesn't have an idea of what sin truly is, that it is a separation fundamentally from God, nor does it necessarily have an understanding about the righteousness. How does one get righteous? Well, it's centered on Jesus. It's centered on the second person of the Trinity. You can't declare yourself righteous. There'll be no amount of sacrifice that'll be available to you to be finally free of the sting of death and to be in eternal life. The Spirit comes to tell us these things. And then in regards to judgment, the Spirit will talk about what it, that, that judgment we... It's not, this isn't, the gospel is not, an academic exercise. It is not one of many offerings. It looks that way at a certain level in this world, but it is, according to what Jesus is telling his disciples here, what everyone needs in regards to judgment, that the power of sin and death, this is the judgment, has already been achieved by Jesus' death and his resurrection. That judgment, if you will, has already been served on the enemy. And that availability of freedom in all its forms for each of us, whatever we are experiencing, that freedom from some besetting sin, some stubborn thought pattern, some area of just sort of constant friction. And we think in our minds, if only that other person would change, this would be a lot better. Jesus says that that 
that all those things that are still of us and not of God, those have been conquered. That we now, through the Spirit, have the power to live in the way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are living here. Look at this as, as we're calling it a little bit here, this dance. They are in complete unity. They have one purpose. It is to present who God is fully to this world it, out of a heart of love and compassion, of rescue, of a desire to, to return everybody that they've, who's ever been created, that God has ever made, to return people to the heavenlies, to eternity. We call it eternity. The revelation, vision of being around the throne. This is what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all doing. They are giving to one another. There's a sense of sacrifice. The Spirit is only speaking what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have been given everything from the Father. The Father is giving everything to the Jesus. Jesus is giving everything to the Spirit. The Spirit is giving what we need to know and what we can actually comprehend to the church. And they are glorifying one another. These, this idea of sacrifice and this idea of, of working completely and utterly together, this idea... Uh, of being in unity while still being distinct, that's called love. This is a love in action display that Jesus is talking about here in the gospel. And so when we, as his followers, say, Lord, I want to be like you, God, help me to be like you. And he will say, oh, great, I'll help you to be like my father who, who cares for people and be like the Lord who has mercy upon us. Be like my father who says, this is what the right life is. This is what holiness looks like. This is what purity looks like. This is what coming to me looks like. And Jesus who says, I, will, I, I died so that nothing that you think is standing in your way needs standing in your way. And finally, there's the spirit who says, and I will empower you to do that. You know, when, it, when, the, when Romans says, when Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, Trinity Sunday is an opportunity for us to say, when God the Father is for us and Jesus, his Son, is for us and the Holy Spirit is for us, who can be against us? So why, if you will, it, it matters to us? How are we to understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So they are three persons. This is the formulation but one in being, one in substance. The early church formulation said that they were homoousis, same substance. And they were three persons. The Greek word was hypostatus. You, some of you theologians have heard of the hypostatic union, this idea of three persons, but all God, none of them separated from the Godhead. And it took a lot of working out. This early formulation, what you see in the scripture, what we're looking at, it doesn't come to complete doctrinal formation until the end of the fourth century. Starts in the early part, but there's still debate. There's still Arius and his heresy about trying to diminish the role of Christ and his personhood. So the church had to really wrestle through some things. But in the end, or even before that, so they will finalize that in the fourth century. But I love what, uh, you know, Tertullian, as I said, quoted the actual word Trinity but Irenaeus of Lyon said this as early as 180 AD when he's talking about the Trinity. God the Father, who's uncreated, is uncontained, he's invisible, he is one God, the creator of the universe. This is the first article of our faith. And the Word of God, who's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
is the one who gathers all things to himself. He became human and lived amongst us. He was capable of being seen and touched. He was able to destroy death, to bring life, to restore fellowship between God and humanity. And then there's the Holy Spirit through in the fullness of time was poured out in a new way on our human nature in order to renew humanity through the entire world in the sight of God. Three distinct persons, one in essence, one in substance. That is the God we worship. But why does this matter to the church? Well, it matters to the church that if we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth, we need to know who He is. And we need to know the aspects of who He is. And I think just on a very practical level, it will help inform our prayer life. The great Puritan John Owen spent a lot of ink and pages talking about how we would pray to the Holy Spirit and how we might pray to Jesus and how we might pray to God the Father. I don't know about you, but I pretty much use the shorthand many times, oh God, and then I add my supplication or my intercession. That's really good. But, but prayer aside, we need to understand, I think as a church, if we're going to be the faithful bride, we need to know the, as much as we can the magnitude of the three-in-one God. And, when we're, and if we don't, see, when, when churches start to emphasize a particular aspect of the triune God, and at the neglect of others, then things can get a little bit off track. If I just am focused on the holy God, God the Father, God the Almighty, then I'm in potentially in danger of creating a fairly authoritarian, rules-based system where the leaders of that church, whatever they say goes, and the plan's the plan. Where in that scenario is room for the mercy of Christ? For the forgiveness of the Lord. This is, if God the Father is really the, the main understanding of God, and Jesus is somewhat secondary, this is how Christian cults get formed. This is how heresies were formed uh, and called heresies in the early church. So if, if it's just God the Father, then I'm running into, I, I'm missing out on a lot of who Jesus is and what he brings. And then the Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ that we often hear. So what is the Spirit of Christ teaching us in that situation? On the other hand, if I am just talking about a church that's built on Jesus, the Jesus in the Gospels, and I'm so in touch with His love for everyone and His forgiveness and His, um, you know, I go and sin no more kind of mindset, which we all need and we all cling to and we've all been so thankful to receive and at times in our life. Basically, that time is just about every day. As we confess, we say, thank you, Lord, that you say to me, go and sin no more, and your spirit gives me the power to, to do that. But if, if that's not connected to the other aspects of God, if it's not connected to the Father and the holiness and the law, then sometimes we can just sort of say, well, you know, my, we're, my impression of gentle Jesus who just loves me no matter what, that can kind of gain the ascendancy. And then the church that focuses on that just starts to look more and more like the world, starts to look less and less distinct, starts to have less and less potency to its witness and its ability to be salt and light. Not because they set out to do that, but just because they emphasize the particular um, one aspect of the great gospel without understanding the other ways that they play together. Or sometimes churches emphasize just the spirit. And it's all about the Spirit. And we love the 
coming down of the Spirit on our congregation. And that's been so great. Remember when that happened last year? And then, you know, it's not happening as much, so we, you know, we get the band whipped up a little bit more. We, we try to do things that recreate what only God can do, which is to pour His Spirit out in, in a fresh fire. But His Spirit is always available to us. But what is that Spirit doing? He, the Holy Spirit, is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the living word, pointing us to the word. If we want to know what God wants in our life, if we want the encouragement that we so desperately need, the word of God is there and the spirit will take our attention there. When a church just says, Lord, it's me and you and your spirit's going to show me and we're not opening up scripture, there's all kinds of manifestations that eventually it becomes obvious that they're really not from the Lord. Some of you recent church historians could probably point to a few examples. I can as well. So the church, to be the faithful church, the faithful bride, must look at the three-in-one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and hold those things in a balance, in a dance. There will be times when the Spirit is what we need to be focused on. He is speaking to us about Christ. There's times where that sense of forgiveness, utter forgiveness, no matter how much we sin, no matter how badly we, we help put Jesus on the cross, his forgiveness on the cross, looking at us saying, you are forgiven, is what we need to hear. And then there's times where we just know that, Lord, I need to hear about your, your holiness. Now, I'm painting these in somewhat separate buckets, but they're really not that separate. It's not that Jesus isn't about holiness or the Spirit isn't about that. It's not that the Father isn't about forgiveness because otherwise Jesus wouldn't be here. It's not you know, that the Holy Spirit isn't about law. Otherwise, where would the conviction be? But again, all these work together. But the church, to be the faithful church, is the one who needs to understand and hold them in, in the balance that the Spirit leads us in. Now, that's why it matters to the church. It may not have escaped your notice that our church is actually called Holy Trinity. So, uh, why do we call it that? I, I don't know how many of you actually know the story of how we got our name. Uh, when Vicki and I were thinking about this church and being led to, to move in the direction of a church plant, we were praying, what, what name would this be? What, what, Lord, what do you want to call this congregation that you know is coming when we didn't know much about it? And uh, nice thing about the Anglican tradition, there's all kinds of options. We could be St. Anselm. We can be, uh, just locally, St. James. We could be Redeemer. Uh, you could get a little bit more modern like some of our other church friends. You could be Restoration or you could be Wellspring. So, but on my heart was Holy Trinity. And it just, it, it just kept emerging as sort of the lead name. I, I couldn't tell you why, but it, it just did. I think part of it was what we're talking about today. But I remember calling up, talking with the bishop, and as he was sort of asking how his progress was going. And in the course of that conversation, what are you thinking of calling the church? And almost before I could get it out, he said, you know what? I think Holy Trinity would be a good name. I'm like, okay, Bishop likes Holy Trinity. Holy Trinity was the lead candidate for us. But more importantly, I think the Spirit was saying to us, this is what I want to define and be a touchstone for you. Now, it's not that the other names aren't good for those churches. They are. But who we are. We need to be a church in this time, in this place, in this valley that speaks to God, that speaks of God, that represents Him as well as we can but that the supreme God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's one of the reasons I love our liturgy, because you'll see, we'll, we'll say the creed in a moment, and it is organized around, literally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
so many of the prayers. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. There is an abiding and necessary richness that comes from worshiping in this triune way. And this is, I think, for a church to be faithful to her calling is to be having that front and center. So at least that's what was, I think, part of the reason why God was doing that in our lives and having us name Holy Trinity, Holy Trinity. Final word just on, on our name. Part of why we're doing this too is we, we actually have a little phrase that we use about what life is about at Holy Trinity. Good phrase, really terrible dissemination of it throughout the community. We, at, from time to time, we say, when, when you think of Holy Trinity, you should be thinking, what are we about? We're about sharing the life of Christ for the sake of others. In other words, the life of Jesus, the life of God the Father, the life of Jesus the Son, the life of the Holy Spirit, that whole Godhead, the Lord, that's the life we want in us. That's the life that each of us needs. That's the life that at some level we can only manifest by being a church. doesn't matter how gifted a particular person is unless we are meeting together and doing things together. That fullness of God will not be on display. And so it's life in Christ, but that life is not only individual. It's life that is communal. And it is in Jesus because in Jesus all things move and have their being. And Jesus is taking what the Father has given him and he's giving it to the Spirit. In, in this mindset, uh, there's an apex aspect of this, but there's also a sense of, not that the, Jesus is above the others, but Jesus, it, it, you know, his whole mission is redemptive, and the church's mission is redemptive, and so we, you cannot redeem without Jesus. And so it's life in Christ that we're trying to introduce people to for the sake of other people. Last week we were in Pentecost, the birth of the church, but the calling of the church is to... Is to take this gospel of reconciliation and speak that and live that to those around us. Start where you are and go outwards. This is the, the model of the church. So life in Christ for the sake of others. We, should, we could say life in the triune God for the sake of others. But life in Christ that others might know the Lord as we know. That others might experience the healing that we've experienced. That others can come into this body and help us understand what that life looks like, what that healing looks like, what those good deeds in the name of Christ look like. This is our call locally. This is one of the reasons, or this is one of the ways it, of what it means to be Holy Trinity Church. And so I pray and ask your prayers to, as we pray together that the Lord would build on that, build on, on our identity as belonging to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.